Good morning, I'm Pastor Lori Beth, and I'm excited to have um, Jeff here um, with me this morning as a preaching partner, and it is good to have you back, by the way. Thank you, um, good to be back. So we are starting, or no, we're the second Sunday into this series on re- reimagining the church, and we are looking back to, to glean some lessons from the early church, and I asked Patty this last week, and I ask you the same thing. With what you know about the early church, what is something that stands out to you um, about the early church? I think something that stands out to me, particularly today in the, in the world that we live in, I think we have a tendency when we look back to the past or when we think back to earlier in our lives to sort of um, imagine that things were so much better (laughs) then, right? And so you read Acts chapter 2 and you read how they shared everything and had everything in common and met each other's needs and they met and they sung songs and hymns and spiritual songs and it's like, oh man, if only we could just do that, right? But at the same time, they were people. They were human beings. Like the church then was made up of human beings just like it is today. And so I'm sure that there were disagreements. I'm sure that there were arguments. I'm sure that there were political divides. I'm sure that not everybody was on the same page. As much as we have, uh, and as much as Christ prays for unity in the church, I'm sure that it's not always present in the way that God would hope for it to be. Um, And the early church wasn't a cakewalk. It wasn't just that simple. And so I think that's a a hopeful lesson for us today um, because we're still here. And so even at that time, with the the life that they faced, with the persecution that the church faced, which is... Uh, which was way greater uh, in the early church, certainly, than it is today. Uh, there are parts of the, ch- of the church in the world today that are persecuted like the early church, but nowhere near to the global extent that, uh, that the church faced persecution. And yet, again, here we are 2,000 years later. Uh, the church prevails mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and always will. And so I take hope from that and comfort from that. So it was not one big kumbaya moment for right. the early church. Right. I'm <laughs> no. sure there were moments. I, I'm right. sure that they all sang kumbaya. Right. right. Like a, <laughs> no. But, but, but yeah, but we're, we're still yeah. here. And it is a reminder, comforting or frustrating thought that we are humans and it's hard to be in community. I've always said that. Um, It's one of God's greatest gifts to envision church and Christians being in community together, but it's also a really hard thing to pull off. Um, So for me, one of the things about the early church I want to lift up again, uh, not again, um, but to lift up to think about is this really interesting symbol from early Christians, the symbol of the fish and the the story, the legend behind it, because this is our new addition to the altar. Um, But it was an early symbol for Christians. And it, it worked this way. So if you were talking to someone and you wanted to find out, because they were being persecuted early on, and it was literally a life or death admission um, to say you were, you were uh, a Jesus follower. And so if I were talking to you, Jeff, and we were in conversation and I sort of felt like, well, let's just see if he is a believer, then I would draw the, the top half of that fish, the, the curve. And then I would wait to see if you would finish the, the image. And if you did, then, it, it, then we would know that we were both people who were following Jesus and it would be safe to, to have that conversation. So that's a cool piece of it. But one of the reasons that the fish was a symbol for Jesus is the Greek word is ichthus. And it spelled out a, 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 a what are those things? An acrostic, an acronym. And so the letters in Greek for ichthus would st- stood for Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. 
And so that not only describes who Christ is, but also Christ's mission. And that's part of what we're gonna talk about today. But these lessons from the early church are, um, uh, are, are, we hope, will be opportunities to apply some things that we can learn that help the early church to be um, uh, flexible and adaptable and tenacious that we can apply to what we're going through right now. And some of the ways that we've had to be creative is even the example for the youth tonight uh, that we've offered a couple of outdoor worship experiences and so they will kick off their their semester with outdoor worship and that's something that we have um, been mastering and practicing to figure out how do we do that together and do it well. And it's just another sign of figuring out how to adapt and safely be able to worship together in person. And for us right now, that's to do that outdoors. Well, we will spend 10 weeks looking at the early church and these lessons that we can find that as we talked about last week, that um, help us maybe figure out how to, to not put new wine into old wineskins, but to create these new wineskins, these new ways of be or, or understanding being the church that might not actually be all that new. There may be some things that we're now just having the opportunity to mimic or learn from the early church. So we focus on Jesus, Ichthus, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And the scripture makes clear that Jesus was viewed as the head of the church, crystal clear. But before we look at the scripture, uh, today is all about taking a look at what did that mean for the early church? And what does that mean for us today? What role does Jesus play in the life of the church today? Uh, so before I read the passage from Ephesians, just two little pieces of context that might be helpful. One is that um, Ephesians was believed to be written by Paul's disciples, not by Paul himself, but by um, some of his close disciples. And it was written in the late first century, so the 80s or 90s AD. And so we remind ourselves the temple has been destroyed and Christian churches are popping up all over the Mediterranean um, by by this point in time. And this passage, in fact, the whole letter to Ephesians really does focus on the relationship between Christ and the believer and Christ and the church. So in these few verses that I'm going to read, I invite you to listen to the high esteem that this letter holds Jesus Christ. So from Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and sat him at God's right side in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and angelic power, any power that might be named not only now, but in the future. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church, which is his body, 
His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. This is God's word for us today. So part of what I want to do today is talk about um, what was some of the belief or understanding of Christ then and then what does that look like today? Let's compare and contrast then and now. And so I want to start with the, uh, what is the heart of this uh, scripture passage, but also a lot of the teaching and understanding of the early church, which is this idea of the exaltation of Christ. And the scripture passage that you read at the beginning from Philippians is part of a hymn or a song, and it lays it out there that, that this, this raising of Christ to, to be at, the, at God's side, to be Lord of all, King of kings, um, Christ the King. And so and for the early church, then, it's important to remember a couple of things. First of all, they, the, the metaphor they used for themselves was the body of Christ. Paul taught that early on and it caught on. And so the churches would refer to them as the body of Christ. And they saw Jesus to be the head of the church while the people were the hands and the feet of the church. And then in Ephesians, theologically, there were two really important things they wanted people to believe. First is the resurrection of Christ. That's fundamental and at the heart of the gospel. But it was also in this exaltation of Christ that came after the resurrection and that for them, this exaltation, this raising of Christ to God's, God's side was the true source of Christ's power um, moving forward, that, that Jesus was part of God's realm and was more than the, the historical Jesus. And one of the examples from early scripture that the early Christians leaned into, because remember they were looking at the Old Testament, they didn't have the New Testament at that time. But one of those examples uh, from Psalm 110 verse one is a place where they, they, they looked to, to explain this cosmic realm that Christ had been raised to. The beginning of that Psalm says, what the Lord says to my master, sit right beside me until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And then I want to use a couple of other New Testament scripture passages that continue to, to uh, get at this concept of this exaltation of Christ. From Colossians 1, 15 through 18, uh, we hear, we, we read of these claims that um, creation of all things happened through Christ, that Christ was part of that creation as part of the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And therefore, the church also was part of Christ's creation because it came into being through the death and resurrection of Christ. And then Colossians also goes on to say uh, that therefore Christ is the head of the church. So, so hear this passage um, from Colossians. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. Because all things were created by him, both in heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones of powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is firstborn among the dead so that he might occupy the first place in everything." Just this, this sense of Christ as head over, over all things, not just the church, but all things. 
And then from Hebrews 2, verses 8 through 9, we know Hebrews talks about Jesus being the pioneer of salvation. But uh, it, this passage goes on to talk about how Jesus for a season was made lower than the angels when he took human form to do this saving work by dying on the cross for us. But that now, after dying on the cross and being resurrected, he has been exalted using language that sounds like the Psalm that I just read where Christ is in control of everything, whether we fully understand and see that right now or not. And someday it will be crystal clear. But until then, our focus should be on Jesus. So Hebrews 2 says, when he puts everything under their control, he doesn't, ha he doesn't leave anything out of control. But right now, we don't see everything under their control yet. However, we do see the one who was made lower in order that the angels for a little while. It's Jesus. He's the one who is now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death. He suffered death so that he could taste death for everyone through God's grace. So this first then from the early church is this, this sense that the, the early church required both a belief in the risen Christ as, as Lord and this belief that Christ was exalted above all powers, Christ as King. And so I, when we think about, okay, that's what they believed then, and what do we think about this now, this exaltation of Christ? I wonder what role that that really does play in the life of our church and our thinking in, in modern day, current day. And I invite you to reflect on your own beliefs about Jesus. What, do you, what you know about Jesus, uh, what do you believe about Jesus sitting at God's right hand? Uh, how does that influence your relationship with Christ and come into your, your beliefs? For those who worship in the traditional style, whenever we say the Apostles' Creed, uh, we actually recite together on the third day, he rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of God the Father. So we, we proclaim that belief, but I wonder if sometimes we're going through the motions. I wonder if we take this part of our faith for granted because we get so caught up in what Jesus did in his earthly ministry and what happened on Easter morning with the resurrection because those are super important. But I wonder if the modern day church takes this belief for granted and underestimates how important it is to our understanding of who Christ is today uh, by not just focusing on the historical Jesus, but to really embrace this sense of the exaltation of Christ. And we're gonna continue to tease this out here. But Jeff, I wonder if you wanna add um, uh, another then and now. Yeah, so, uh, so I want to talk a little bit more about the idea of uh, the image of the body of Christ, the, that, that, that imagery, um, and, and what did that mean to the early church and what does that mean to us today? So in the early church, they recognized uh, that they themselves were organized as the body of Christ, but Christ was the head of the church, just as we read um, in, in, the, in the scripture for today, um, God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, Lord, so, so we are seen as the body, we are seen as the, as the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think in conjunction with Christ being on the throne, um, Christ being the head gives us comfort today and freedom today. It's not our job to save the church. It's not our job to make sure that the church exists. That is God's job. That is Jesus's job. Jesus is the head of the church and you are not. 
and neither am I, and neither are you, and neither is the bishop, and neither is anybody else in the power structures that we have, in the organization that we have in the church. And that should give us all a a sense of of relief and freedom and hope, knowing that uh, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in politics, the, 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 the government can't determine whether the church lives or dies. The church has already won the battle through Christ. Christ has already won the battle. We're going to talk more about that in just a second. Uh, so November, no matter what happens in November, uh, Jesus will still be exalted <laughs> yes. at the right hand of God. Praise Jesus. <laughs> yes. Um, no matter what happens, uh, no matter what declarations, again, that, that we get from the bishops, that you get from your local pastors who are trying to lead, no matter what we um, as, as parishioners um, decide, do, meet, gather, whatever it is, uh, Christ is still the head of the church. And You think about that for just a second. If we are the hands and the feet, my hand doesn't do a single thing without direction from the head, right? Our brain tells us, I pick up this paper and and it does it, right? The hand doesn't operate independently of the head. Likewise, the church, as the body of Christ, we are to look to see where God wants us to move. We are to defer to whatever Christ would do, however the Spirit would move in our midst. That is where our focus needs to be. Not on us and not on the things that we think should happen, uh, not in the ways that we think we should be moving or not moving or doing or not doing or serving or not. Uh, It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the head. Uh, We get our direction from that and we move in response to how God is moving in us and God is asking us to move by the power of the Spirit. Thank you. I love that uh, reminder of our place in all, all of this ordering. And I mean, if we're being honest, how often do various ones of us try and step into that position of being the head of the church, of, of stepping into that role that Jesus is supposed to play? And when we truly keep that order in mind and in heart, it is freeing because that pressure is off of us. All we have to do is be obedient Mm. and faithful and Christ will lead us where Christ needs us to be. But that's easier um, said (laughs) than done. Um, So let's look at another then and now. So uh, one of the beliefs in the early church was this sense of this fullness of Christ that Ephesians says that nothing remained outside of Christ. And Christians demonstrated this uh, belief in Jesus, this understanding of Jesus by believing Jesus was the, in fact, resurrected Christ. They believed that Christ was indeed at God's right hand. And then they experienced God's power in their lives to foster these beliefs. In other words, these were not abstract concepts that they stood up and verbally professed, but they genuinely believed it with their heart, soul, and mind. And, and they, this, this played an active part in their life. And so when I think about that belief then, that all in kind of understanding of Christ and where we are today, I also wonder, okay, do we think of Jesus in such broad and expansive terms that nothing remains outside of Christ? Um, And if I'm being perfectly honest, this probably is the one where the modern day church is most aligned with the early church, because I do think we profess those beliefs and we, we believe them to be true. 
But I wonder if we experience that power that the early church really leaned into, or we name it, or we, we recognize it. We might experience it, but do we recognize it? Or, or do we undertap this potential that is right here in our midst because we, I don't know, are skeptical or um, untrusting of it? And so the, just this sense of the, the God who has the power to raise Christ from the dead, who also has the power to um, do amazing things within our own life and to not lose sight of Christ being at the heart to, at, at any of that spiritual power that we might experience personally or what makes a church so vital. It is that power of of God, yes. And can I just say again something that you just said? So it's the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that's available to you and I and to the church. I mean, I raised Christ from the dead. Like, is there anything that that power can't do? Is there any part of creation that that power can't impact and, and help and bring salvation and restoration and, 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 and peace and comfort uh, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of trying to figure out what to do with our kids, uh, school, teachers, all this stuff, like making decisions? The power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us to guide us through those processes and those, those difficult times. Exactly. And that's... that's that's the key of Christ being head of the church mm-hmm. means then Christ is at the heart of um, what fuels that church. Yeah. And I was thinking about this today of those moments when we might not recognize Christ's power in our midst. And I had an experience with someone who clearly, clearly saw Christ's power working in um, her life. And it was, I shared a little bit about this on Facebook, but uh, I It was just hard because I walked with someone through an eviction uh, notice with her home and her family, and there are little children involved, and the pain and stress of having a judge say you've got 15 days to get out of your house and not having anywhere to go, and then trying to, in that panic and that struggle, figure out, all right, what do I do? Uh, Not having the money to pay the rent because of mostly just the disruption of COVID into her her work life and uh, and and not qualifying for a lot of the other benefits that others have had because of being um, self-employed and so at the heart of this when when she was desperately trying to find somewhere to go and was at rock bottom and is like okay I don't know what's going to happen but right now there's nothing else I can do there's nothing else I can do she ended up deciding to take some time and just go and share the gospel with people. It's part of her practice with the church that she's a part of. And she went and got some tracks and they went and just started talking about Jesus to to folks randomly. And in a couple of hours in the course of those conversations, there was someone that she finally felt comfortable enough to say, hey, by the way, do you happen to know anybody that might be renting a house? 
And one thing led to another, and by that night, she had signed a lease and had keys to a new home for her family. Hmm. And she, and, and there were a lot of things, not just that conversation, there were a lot of pieces that led to her being able to have the down payment. Um, and she just started naming them. And listening to her, I could see the, the complete trust in God that she had and this amazing moment of um, provision and clearly recognizing that a power greater than her had done some work that day in her life. And I was so appreciative to hear her be able to name that because I just think sometimes we don't trust that God can act in some powerful ways or maybe when it happens, we don't recognize and claim that it's that same power that raises yeah. Jesus from the dead that can also move in our lives or the lives of those around us. Well, and one of the things that I love about that story is she was like, she was done. Like she had nowhere else to turn. And her response was, I don't know. I'm just going to go tell some people about Jesus. Right. That's how she, like, that's, it wasn't like, oh, I need to pack up these boxes faster. I need to, like, whatever. I need to go try to find another uh, gig where I can make some money. Like, no, it was like, I, I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to tell people that Jesus loves them. Right. And, and <laughs> that's and awesome. Jesus loved on her. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I agree. That I'm, I confess, I'm not sure I would have made that choice mm. had I been in that situation. I'm not, not yeah. sure that I would, but it was a beautiful example of leaning into that power yeah. and just putting that trust somewhere yeah. else other than herself. Amen. So um, the fourth and final then and now is getting back to this sort of funky idea of, of, this, of this exalted Christ and the power uh, that you even mentioned a minute ago that is so much beyond what we dream of, think of, and can understand. The scripture teaches us that belief of this power of the exalted Christ went beyond just heading up the church or working with us in our individual lives like this previous example, but that Christ was over the whole cosmos, y'all, the whole cosmos, like everything. And this cosmic level of power and superiority implied that Christ had already, has already won this cosmic battle between good and evil that we often associate with the end time. See, we can study other parts of scripture that, that really push this as a future event that hasn't actually come to completion yet. And that was definitely Paul's thinking of the timing, but Ephesians and Colossians, they have a little bit of a different sense to them. They imply Christ has already won the battle and is head of everything already, right now. And that the, uh, the other implication is that the church has this cosmic entity, this presence, this possibility. And that the church was not just the socio-political institution. What I mean by that, it wasn't just humans gathering to help one another that were struggling or that were gathering to share the belief in Jesus as this new religious movement but that it was part of a divine reality, that, that the gathered church was part of something way bigger than themselves and even part of this cosmic community. 
So I found this really cool quote in a book Patty actually recommended from Robert Banks called Paul's Idea of Community. And it's looking at the early church and how it formed and what were truly the characteristics and, and um, uh, how they functioned. And Banks says this, uh, this was a belief of Paul in the early church, that Christians belong both to a heavenly church that is permanently in session and to a local church that meets intermittently. This means Christians are in a common relationship with Christ, not only when they meet together or individually relate to him in prayer, but at all times, wherever they are and whatever they do. This is an exalted conception of Christ. And this is what the early church believed. I love this idea. It is a combination that is both logical and mystical. And that's not a normal combination. The, the a powerful concept that the local church is a tangible expression of the heavenly church, a manifestation in our own time, in our own space of something that is more eternal and infinite. And that sounds mystical. It's like, ooh, that is really interesting to think about. But there is logic to this as well, that plenty of the New Testament scriptures talk about worshiping Christ as Lord, as this future heavenly experience. And there's an understanding that heaven will have this feel of celebration and praising of Jesus Christ as Lord. So if Christ is head of the church today and, and that's who we worship and praise when, wherever we gather, then it makes sense that when we worship Christ in our own times, it's a hint. It is a foretaste of what we will experience in full and glorious just grandeur in heaven. I love to think about that, that, that hint of what could be, and that that's what makes uh, the gathered community and worship powerful. And we're gonna talk about that in more yeah. detail. In fact, you're gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks. But I want to invite us just this morning to think about, okay, this talk of cosmic community is funky. And some of you are going, okay, you just lost me here. But hang on, because this is, this is powerful. If we believe in the exalted Christ and the power that Christ has, then let's connect a few dots here because I don't think we talk about these cosmic battles or the cosmic community or the good and evil every time we gather for Sunday school or worship, at least not in those terms. And back in the early church, there was a greater sense of urgency for uh, talking about this in their lifetime because a lot of them really did believe that Christ was coming before they would die. Paul certainly believed that for most, if not all of his ministry. Um, but a lot of us now kind of lean into Jesus' teaching about this, that he talks about it several times where, hey, you don't know when the thief is coming, so be ready. The thief may come in the night and when be ready. Or you don't know when the bridegroom's coming back so uh, to start the party, so have oil in your lamp and be ready to go because you, you want to be ready. So we kind of have this sense of we don't, and we can't understand God's time, and we don't know when Christ will come again and this victory happens, but we want to be ready. In fact, I think one of the verses that they, saw, they sang in the, the song right before our worship, it named this exact concept that we want to be righteous before God whenever Christ comes again. Um, and so what do we really think 
What do you really think about the role that Christ plays in this cosmic realm? Because if Christ is head of the church and Christ's power is part of what fuels us, um, then is Christ's power and influence limited to just guiding the institution of the church or to just guiding you and me personally? Or is Christ part of something much bigger than even our gathered community? I think that the answer is yes, God is part of, Christ is part of so much more. And here's why these things are relevant. Um, these are relevant today uh, for you and me, because there are moments when we are dealing with this COVID-19 stuff and it is old and wearying and fearful or overwhelming. We, the economy, like we're, we're struggling with how this might affect us financially. The political roller coaster that we're on, we just finished the Democratic National Convention. We've got the Republican Convention coming up this week. It's a roller coaster for the next couple of months. Um, we're all having to adapt our lives to live differently than we ever have before. And in the midst of all of this, I find such comfort that we can, can lean into and worship the, the same Christ that we worship on Sunday morning has power and influence over the whole cosmos. So then certainly Christ can help us wade through our problems of today. And I saw this definition when we're thinking about dealing with today and tomorrow and whether um, Christ is in final victory already or not yet, that faith in Christ is entrusting our lives to Jesus today. Okay, so faith, faith is trusting in this moment in Jesus as Lord. Hope is about the future where our present trust in Jesus will lead us. So faith is about today, our present belief in Jesus, and hope is about where that trust in Jesus will take us. It allows us to look into the future. And so we've got this tension between the now and the, the not yet, that um, Christ has already broken into our world, into our life. The kingdom of God has already come in bits and pieces, and we know that there will be a future point in time when it comes to full fruition. All right, so if your mind feels a little bit like a pretzel right now, um, let me wrap this up and just lift up the, the, the points that I hope that you'll take from this um, very quickly. Um, the so what part of this conversation is, first of all, um, at the heart of it all, we can never forget that Christ is the head of the church. The reason for our existence as the body of Christ that is the reason that we invite someone to come to church so that we can share the faith and the hope that we have in Christ that they may experience it for themselves. A lot of churches forget this and they can start to look an awful lot like a country club or a, a civic organization that does good deeds for people. But a church has Christ at the center of it and it looks like a place of love and worship and sharing and caring. Secondly, we long for folks to experience the power of Christ when they worship with us, when they fellowship with us, when they study with us, when they serve with us. And that only happens when Christ is at the heart of, of us as individual believers, when Christ is fueling the power within us, those of us that make up the church. 
So I think Ephesians also reminds us that as individuals, we need to nurture our belief, our discipleship, our love for Jesus personally as well. That not only does the church need to keep Christ as the focus, the heart, the head of the church, we need to keep Christ as focused and, and, and head of our own lives as well. And then finally, what we've said already, with Christ as the head of the church, we're participating in something so much bigger than um, us as individuals could ever be a part of, or even one specific community could be um, impactful. Uh, instead, we, we keep our focus on Christ. By keeping our focus on Christ, it allows us to see and participate in this larger community of believers. That we are connected. We're connected with other believers that are worshiping across the town this morning. We are co connected to the saints that have gone before us. We are even connected to the promises that Christ has given us for the future that the church is where all of these places intersect and that that's part of the power of the church. It's part of the power of our faith that we have this privilege to participate in. And it's part of the power that enables us to do so much more than we could as individuals. Um, that it's part of the power we trust to help us overcome our current circumstances, whatever they may be. So indeed, let us look at these challenges that we face today knowing that at our starting point, at the core of it all, just like with the early church, we are centered on Jesus Christ. Ultimately, when that is the case, the rest will work itself out. Why? Because we trust God's promises found in scripture. Verses 22 and 23. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church, which is his body. His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. Ichthus, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So Lord, use us, Boone United Methodist Church, to help fill everything in every way and us as your servants, as Christ's hands and feet to fulfill your good and saving purposes. And especially during these difficult times, remind us of your power, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So be it. Amen. Amen.